The Bulls have three seconds to try a shot and try to win the game. This is the Notebook Wagering Podcast. Coming to you from the betting deck. Don't believe what I just saw. Here are your hosts. Jenks! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Notebook wagering. Wednesday night edition. I am Smitty. Sitting here at the Salisbury Studios. Hey, I'm solo tonight. No cue. So... I got all my stuff spread out, and I'm feeling very comfy here in studio. I got the boys from Pittsburgh with me, Maddie and Jason. Maddie, how are you tonight? Sorry, boys. I was muted. Uh, <laughs> That's I'm, all right. glad, I'm glad we're uh, covering some college hoops tonight. My second favorite sport to go over other than baseball. We got a great guest tonight to spit some game. Jason from uh, down in Mount Lebo. What's going on down there? Uh, not much. Like you said, finally get into uh, college basketball. Very excited about that. Here we get the small conferences coming up here really quick. And then the big conferences, it seems to be like the tournaments are going to be insane because every conference needs to be top heavy. So finally got an expert here to get us kicked off into the uh, college basketball and the, the March Madness. Yeah, we got one of our favorite guys here. You know, he's been on a couple times with us. You can check him out at at HeatCheckCBB, and he's the host at the Hangout CBB. We got Brian Ralph here. Brian, how are you tonight? Great to be, great to have you back with us. And we're in studio now. Yeah, it's 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 nice. I like it. <laughs> uh, I'm doing well. I appreciate you guys having me back. We are um, we are actually talking about it on a, on a call at HeatCheck earlier this week, where it's like, yeah, conference tournament start next week. And I don't think any of us realized that it was like that that time of year right in our face. But we're we're looking forward to it. So, Brian, I'm going to go first here. Let's dive right into probably the biggest story that's happening. You have a team, Alabama, that's really, really good. There was a really tough situation that uh, I think a player, I think he was injured at the time. Uh, there was a shooting, so a young uh, female mm-hmm. has uh, died. Now, their star player... Uh, Brandon Miller, supposedly, or it kind of sounds like he brought the gun to the situation there. So, I mean, you don't have to go all into everything about the situation here. Just, I want to give your mm-hmm. two cents. What's your overall opinion with this Alabama team? Very good team. Mm-hmm. Are you really, is this going to be a major distraction for them heading into the SEC and the tournament? Or is this now a thought in your mind, hey, I'm not touching these guys at all? It's impossible for it to not be a factor, right? Like, we're talking about them kicking off here. They've been the lead topic on you know, every show and probably will be for the next little bit. And then every time they play, it, it's going to be a topic coming around as well. Um, the situation itself uh, regarding Brandon Miller and Jaden Bradley, who are the, the two that have been mentioned recently, uh, Darius Miles was the one who was arrested for uh, for the murder. Um the police from the police testimony sounds very, very bad, very, very bad. Um, now Brandon Miller's lawyers come out and said that everything was as, as innocent as things could possibly be in this kind of situation. Um, that's a, he said, she said the police don't have anything to, to charge him with as of now. And they've, they've said as much, uh, but the details certainly don't look look good um alabama seems to be taking the kind of hands-off approach and we'll let the law handle it and that's that's fine to a certain extent um i'd like to see nato and alabama take a little bit more leadership and ownership of the situation though because apparently this information that came out about miller and, and um and bradley is stuff that they've known and decided to to kind of sit on and not act on um we talk a lot, particularly with the NFL, wanting that league to be more proactive and not reactive because it seems like every decision that, that they make and that league office makes is a response to public outcry or, or public backlash as opposed to doing something based on the facts that are presented to them. Uh, I would I would characterize the handling of this from NATO in Alabama in the same way where they're just – they're not – doing anything and it, 
there is a, a vast difference between being punished for a crime and being punished by a team, right? That you don't have to have committed a crime and been convicted for uh, team discipline or, or something, right? If Nate Oatson said things are being handled internally, I, I think you're still getting a lot of pushback from that, but it would be something other than wrong place, wrong time, which was just uh, seemed to kind of um, be Nate Oates' attempt at um, lessening the severity of what was going on and what happened. And I, I think that's what rubbed people the wrong way in particular and is why this is such a big deal and will continue to be. Now, unless something new comes out, it seems like they're going to play them and play Brandon Miller and play Jaden Bradley. That's big for Alabama on court. I am not a legal expert. I watch a lot of college basketball, so I will let people call me a college basketball expert. I may not consider myself that. Um, on the court, like they need those guys. Brandon Miller is arguably the best freshman in the country. He's good chance he's the first college player drafted in the NBA draft. He is the kind of guy who can single-handedly win Alabama a Final Four game or an Elite Eight game, maybe even a national championship game. He is that good, and they are not going to win a national championship without him. Let's put it that way. The question then is, with all this hanging over their head, does it impact them and knock them off from playing at the level we've seen them play at and reach at several times, especially over the past weeks, but throughout the course of the season? Um, I I think moving forward, you still have to look at them as being among the title favorites, um, but I don't think they're going to win now. I, I think there's simply too much outside noise, coupled with some of the problems they already had. They turned it over a, a good deal. Uh, are a little bit too reliant on the three for me, but those are all things we've seen them overcome. And as we've talked about and we'll talk about, say, flawed and say tournament this year. There's a lot of flawed teams. And Bama's ceiling is really high, but you, you add this in the mix. I think it's too much for them. It can still make a long run, but if we're talking about cutting down the nets in Houston, I, I, I think this is too much for them to overcome to do that. Brian, I'll jump in real quick. Um, so the – whole story is well I don't want to say convoluted we just don't know yet and I think I'm going to tie it into Nate Oates and he's done a great job there of turning mm-hmm. that program around but if they find out that he's kind of just swept stuff under the carpet I mean there's no no chance he keeps this job and I I don't I actually think Miller anyone else involved the the public backlash is going to be so great on this with this new evidence. I think they're all going to get suspended, fired, whatever, within the next, I think right before the tournament and hit them hard where it's going to hurt. It would not surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if everything was status quo. Um, yeah. But we've seen cases where like if, if Nate Oates was not this good of a coach, things would probably have been handled differently. Right. But he has Alabama set to do things and be on track to do things that the program's never done before at a school that really values winning. Mm. Alabama, at any school in the country, we've, we've seen this happen time and time again, if you're a good coach, if you're a good player, you get a heck of a lot more leeway than if you stink. <laughs> if, they, if they want you out of there, they will use something to, to find a way to get you out of there at, at first chance. Um, with how good Oates is as a coach and what he's proven, as good as Miller as his player and as he's proven, they're going to do everything they can in Alabama to keep them around. It's going to it's going to take a lot, and I, I think just judging by what what has happened so far, I think it's going to take a something happening more definitively from a legal standpoint before anything anything comes to this. Bama seems okay to kind of kind of sit on their hands and deflect the legal system in this case. Do you think really quick New Mexico State's like, oh man, at least we're out of the news right now because <laughs> that was a bad situation. <laughs> uh, maybe, I mean, maybe, but I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what a year for uh, off court. You could huh? do some, somebody on Twitter one time said, man, they have to have a 30 for 30 with New Mexico State that season this year, man. So, hey, Jason, go ahead. I don't want to take, I know you have a question, and, man, go. And th- this, this whole thing started with Chris Beard. Oh yeah, right. Like we're not even like that. That that happened earlier this season too, and that's that feels like it was forever ago. It's a soap opera. <laughs> Just tune in. You never know what's going to happen. Go, yeah. Jason. 
<laughs> so uh, that's what's crazy. I'll go to Chris Beard. That's crazy that his name's already coming up for coaching jobs. And uh, mm-hmm. Q and I went back and forth on text about this. I don't think you can hire him this year. I think he needs a year to kind of get a little PR rehab. Uh, it's more than just this incident. It seems like this incident brought a lot of people shaking their head and wringing their hands like, yeah, we kind of knew this would happen. So it seems like there's a lot of maybe peripheral stuff we don't know about where places he's worked at where he is, he's kind of rubbed people the wrong way. So I think he's a year away. I don't think any of these big jobs are there. And I think it's going to take a certain kind of school for to hire him. Do you, do you agree with that? Uh, I, I think he will be hired this year. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm with you in that it's not going to be a big job. Like, I, I don't think he's ever going to be able to get back to the Texas level of job, that, that upper echelon. He's going to be able to be hired because the charges were dropped, right? And any school is going to be able to spin it. And we talk about, to stop out Nate Oates, good coaches getting more leeway. You know, Chris Beard is thought of as the, the best young coach in the country mm. for years before this happened, right? So he, he's going to get some leeway, and there are – a lot of desperate teams out there, whether that's mid-majors, probably majors who are looking for somebody to, to come step in, or more than likely, you're going to find some lower-end power conference jobs, particularly in the SEC, where they have lots of money and don't necessarily, um, you know, winning holds a, a higher regard, um, that might come open this, this here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it would not surprise me if he's if he's up for and ends up getting – one of those. Again, I, I don't think he'd ever be up for a Texas job again, or or like a Kentucky one of the one of the blue blood jobs that he seemed to be really uh, in line for. Um, but he will find his way back to the power conference level, or at least a a nationally relevant mid major. I, I think this offseason. Ryan, uh, good good segue there. Let's let's get to something a little more fun. Uh, you said it a few times. Let's go to mid majors. And yes. I love mid-majors. I love them in the tournament. We were looking prior to you jumping online at the bracketology, the five twelve matchups. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's three mid-majors that I personally like. I know these guys, I actually kind of like them too. College of Charleston, Kent State, Oral Roberts. Give us like mm-hmm. one or two more to really keep an eye on for March Madness here. North Texas has a good chance to get an at-large. Um as long as they win the rest of their regular season games, they're a team that has solid metrics, plays really good defense. Uh, Grant McCaslin, their coach, has had that program kind of low-key humming for the last couple of years. Everyone points that it was two or three years ago where they beat Purdue mm-hmm. in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But the year before that, they may have been better than that year, and the two or three years since had been NCAA tournament-level teams as well. And they, they've played at a high level. Um I'll also look at Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington does not have a lot of the metrics that these teams do, um, but they have the nation's longest winning streak right now. They've won 17 games in a row, have not lost since end of uh, end of November, I think, or early December. Like, and they're a team that big sky teams typically aren't very big. And when you get to like the anti tournament, there's there's a huge size difference typically between mid majors and and high level teams. That's usually the most noticeable thing. Eastern Washington's the ninth tallest team in the country. Everybody they start is six six and over. They got six guys who are shooting over thirty four, thirty five percent from three. Um, good inside with, with all that size. Yeah, you know, they're not the most athletic or certainly the most gifted, but they're a team that plays a really good style with really good size. That in the right matchup could be problematic. And that right there, like why we have lumberjacks again? <laughs> do what? Do they look like a collection of lumberjacks again, like they did last time when they beat Kansas? Yes. <laughs> not, not, not the same level. Not the Groves brothers. The <laughs> not, not the same characters. Not the same characters. But, uh, but they're good. I mean, they're, yeah. they're. I don't think they're the kind of team that can make a like a, a long run. But you give them a, a matchup, and and they could cause a lot of problems. Yeah, that was the team I had down first, and mine was Eastern Washington. You said it 17 in a row. So two conferences I'm eyeing up here. I want to get your thoughts on the Sun Belt and the MAC because the MAC is usually a really good conference that can go in there and beat some teams. You know, you look at a team, you have, uh, I think Toledo has an 11-game winning streak. Um, Kent State is a really good team. Akron 
you know, they didn't play well last night. They had a couple wins. They've lost a couple there. Who's your team out of the MAC that you would be really scared if you were a higher seed or a, a good, really good team and you mm-hmm. meet them in the first round? Yeah, out of the MAC, I would say either Kent State or Toledo. I think you're looking at either one of those being on the 12 or 13 line. Um, both of them have have expectations of being in this position where the stage is not going going to scare them. Kent State has handled um, tests from top competition this season pretty well so far. Uh, both of them are pretty good offensively. Uh, Kent State, I think, is in the driver's seat right now uh, in the MAC. But if you get that in the MAC championship game, I, I think you're trying to avoid who, whoever wins that game because I think both of them have the potential to win a game. And then the Sun Belt, really quick. You know, that's I. I really like the Sun Belt. I think there's a lot. Of I great, love the Sun Belt. The Sun Belt is a really good. Uh, conference here. I mean, you look at teams, you have Southern Miss. They play tonight. I think they were losing last time I saw. You have them. You have uh, James Madison. Uh, you have Marshall in that. I, they're playing head-to-head mm-hmm. tonight, which I'm on James Madison. Hopefully they get a win for me here. What's your overall, who's the team that, uh, Lafayette's a really good team too out of there. What team do you mm-hmm. really think that's going to, if they get in the tournament, who's the team that is really the probably the most dangerous in the tournament to maybe make a run and get some wins? I, I think JMU is the most dangerous. Uh, we have seen them play elite competition this this non-conference back in November. Uh, they hung with UNC at UNC for 38 minutes before UNC kind of tacked some free throws on late. And that might not be, uh, you know, the most notice, uh, notable accomplishment given the way UNC has played this year, but ha- seemed to handle them. Went on the road to Virginia, had the ball with a chance to take the lead in the last minute. Couple of those things together, the just amount of offensive talent they have, the depth of shooting and individual playmakers, I think makes them dangerous and suited for a tournament scenario. Uh, to me, they're the most dangerous. But if you put Marshall or Louisiana in the tournament as well, I think he's one of those teams can win a game as well. Southern Miss has been a great story this season. I have some questions about the high end talent. Like I think they're what's done well for them is they played at a consistent level where they've handled their business while a lot of these other teams in the Sun Belt have been more up and down. But I think the, the ups, the ceilings uh, of Louisiana, of, uh, yeah, Louisiana, James Madison, and Marshall, those three have the ceiling to pull off an upset. Right. It seems like just looking through some of these lower conferences that it's not just one team in these leagues this year. Like there's a handful of teams at the top of them. So the conference tournaments are going to be pretty interesting, one to watch. But two, also, whoever comes out is going to be live, which is not always the case. Sometimes the best team gets knocked off and you kind of look and you're like, oh, well, that team wasn't that good anyway because you see the second mm-hmm. best team being a notch below. But that's the one thing I'm noticing. Like there's like clusters of three to four teams almost on all these uh, smaller uh, conferences that are going to be dangerous. So is that just kind of bow that this tournament is going to be absolute chaos? Yeah, it should be. And you couple that with the fact that the teams that are probably going to be seeded three through six are all going to be vulnerable and very flawed, right? Matchups are going to play an even bigger role this season than the last last couple of years. Um, I mean, you can even go to the Horizon League. There are a couple of teams at the top there, but I'll point out Youngstown State. Because if Youngstown State gets out of there, they have a top 30 offense in the country. Right, like let's say they get paired up with a Virginia or somebody, and you know suddenly the you're looking at a an upset of of pretty major proportions there. Things have to break the right way, obviously, for that to happen. But that you're looking at those kind of cases with a lot of these conference tournaments where there are teams who might be really good at one thing, and in the right matchup could be a problem. But they're not the odds-on favorite in their league for whatever reason, or there's a group and they haven't been able to, to dominate the way you would expect them to. Uh, it's going to be a, a really fun couple of weeks here coming up for that reason. Um, it, it's, it's the time that kind of separates. And it's crazy to think that like you know, this time last year, St. Peter's was barely above 500 and it, we were all talking about Iona being the team mm-hmm. in the Mac, the Mac that was going to really pose problems. And so like this, this is make or break time for, coaching careers for player legacies. Like it, it all happens right now, which is one of the reasons we love it so much. Ryan, I'm going to give a, a special shout out since you brought up Youngstown state. Uh, uh, there used to be a bar there called Pogo's. And this goes out to all my slipper rock guys. Pogo's penny draft night. Couldn't be it as a college guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Yeah, just think of the stories that could come from that. So yeah. I'm going to throw a different, I'm going to spin in a different one. <laughs> that was a good that. one, Matt. <laughs> I, you've been there. Oh, I, I don't know. I might have. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're talking about these smaller, smaller schools. How about the one team, and talk me off this ledge, why is Tennessee going to be the first one to get knocked out early? They will not be the first one to get knocked out early. <laughs> so I've been very anti-Tennessee, and I've been pretty public about that. Uh, I also had it pointed out to me that uh, they have beaten every mid-major they've played by about 30 or 40 points. Like, just blown the doors off of them. That's one of the reasons why the analytics love them so much. The issue is that they're about 500 against good power conference teams or the better teams that they've played. And that's where the issues come in with Tennessee with the lackluster offense and just the lack of individual creators, the lack of explosion, uh, where those offensive ruts they get stuck in really hurt them. So I don't think they're really in line for a, a first round upset, particularly if they end up on that two line. Um, but you go face a six seed or a seven seed in the second round, I think that's where the danger starts for the balls. Yeah, I like it. So let's go right into a team that was runner-up last year. And we're talking about North Carolina here. 0-9, I believe, in quad one games this year. Brian, are they going to make the tournament? I have a hard time believing they won't. Um, Is that just because of the name, North Carolina? That, and I think they'll beat Virginia this weekend, um, which will give them that quad one win. And then you put them, you have a team like UNC in the bubble, have a team like Kentucky in the bubble, you're going to get them in. Worst case, slide them in the first four because then you get more TV numbers than you normally do for the first four, right? Um, RJ Davis, Caleb Love, and Armando Baycott are all very good players. And they have been very good players throughout much of the season, although Caleb Love has been inefficient. Outside of those three, though, like who has been good for them? And like, and that's that's been the big thing. We talk a lot about their offense, and that's been been beat to death really early on in the season about how they weren't moving the ball and all these different things. But they have no bench. Pete Nance has not been any kind of replacement for for Brady Manick. Um and Leaky Black has been been who he's been, which is a, a serviceable you know role player, good defender, fifth offensive option. Um, they just they don't they don't have it. They're not a good team, and it took me a while because they, they did this last year and then picked up around this time. It took me a while to realize that this team is different and that that's not happening. That turnaround is not happening. If they beat Virginia, it's because Virginia stinks. Because Virginia does stink. It's, it has nothing to do with UNC until they turn, turn their season around. Like, this is who UNC is. So if they do creep in the tournament, which I, I, I think they will, um, they're not going to make that long run again. Like, I think they might win that first four game and then – and then not make it out of the first weekend. Yeah, that Miami game was a game for me where it was like, no, 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 this team's not good. They came off the nice win against Clemson, but they always beat Clemson for some reason. Um, mm -hmm. And 20-point win, it was like, okay, they found themselves, and they completely stunk out the joint at home. And, um, of course, a lot of teams are doing it against Miami. So, uh, as you told us, yeah. the Canes have delivered, with, I think, 13-1 their last couple games here. They're actually rolling – and uh, they can't guard anybody, but they're really good on offense. So, is, is like, is that the team that's probably going to be a little underseeded, just because like the ACC itself probably be a little underseeded this year? Yeah, and they have some losses that are are questionable, as as Miami does, and team without their size does. But them and Creighton, to me, are the teams that are going to be very dangerous. Well, I'll throw TCU in that mix too. Teams that are going to be very dangerous on that four, five, six seed line, where they're really play more like a two or a three, but because of some inconsistencies, Miami just inconsistent play at the start of the season. Creighton went through that really bad shooting slump, and then Ryan Culperin got hurt. GCU dealt injuries all season. There are like external factors there that had caused them to lose games that are understandable, and they're they're getting docked because of it, but all healthy and all things clicking, those are teams that can make second weekends, potentially make the Final Four if things break the right way, given the way that they play uh, Miami to, to just go back to the Canes. Um, you know, the recipe is the same as it was last year. You have a bunch of really good guards and really good guards win in March and they put three on the court and say, 
okay, go go make plays. And they do, and they can. This year they have a legitimate big in, in Norchad Omir. He is 6'7", not a huge guy, but an excellent rebounder, an excellent shot blocker, and gives them a presence down there they didn't have last year. They made the Elite Eight last year. They might not make it this year, but I do think that this year's team is a little bit better than last year's team was. All right, Brian, last one for me. Who's your four number ones right now going as we just about get ready to go into March? Kansas has to be, given the the quad one wins. I think Bama has to be, despite everything off the court, because of what they've produced on the court. Uh, and then Houston and Purdue. Now, Purdue is, is close to falling off there for me and getting replaced by – it's probably going to be UCLA, Arizona, whoever wins the, the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, but to me, those four are pretty solid with that fifth Pac-12 team lurking and Purdue keeps sliding. Perfect. I actually had Houston, Kansas, UCLA, Purdue, and that's only because I expect repercussions to come down for this Bama thing and then to be the next Kenyon Martin NCAA tournament type of run. Yeah, could very well be. Yeah. Well, I got one more, and you know what it's going to be. And I think everybody knows. I think no, Brian knows no. what it's going to be. The boys know what it's going to be. You know, I got to bring up my my Georgetown Hoy is here now. Big game tonight. No, I'm just joking. Now, here's the thing: they better not win because if they win, they might give them a five year extension, and we just cannot have that. So this might be who wins this game. Do they have a chance for Rick Pitino? Brian, I asked you before. I want to know now. Hopefully, Patrick Ewing kind of gets shown the door here when the season's done. Who is going to be the next coach at Georgetown? I think Rick Pitino would take it in a heartbeat if offered. Um, I don't know why Georgetown would not offer it to him, to be quite honest. Uh, And I, I think there's a legitimate push for that to happen. I don't know what the... You know, ultimate decision makers are going to decide at Georgetown, but I do know that there is intrigue on both sides. Rick Pitino is going to be coaching the Big East next season, whether that's at St. John's or at Georgetown. I think he prefers the Georgetown opportunity. Um, Georgetown just has to okay that. Things seem to be trending in the direction that it will happen, Um, but I, I learned a long time ago that until it happens, people can change their mind, get cold feet, look at different things. So I, I think Things are in motion for that to that to happen. Um, we'll see if things progress the way they need to in the next coming weeks. But um, there is much more openness to it than there was, let's say, two months ago. Hey Brian, yeah, I, I like we the let sound you of go, that. I like the sound of that. <laughs> yeah, Brian. Before we let you go, why don't you give a plug on all your stuff that you got going on too? Yeah, uh, up at HeatCheckCBB.com, we have a lot of conference tournament coverage that that's coming down, starting really over the weekend. Um, in addition to finishing out the regular season coverage for the, the major conferences and those that start their conference tournaments the following week. But everything that you're going to want to know for every conference tournament, all 32, uh, anything you need to get you prepped for the NTA tournament, for Selection Sunday, filling out your bracket after, anything you possibly want is going to be up there on heatchecksubb.com. Great stuff. Great stuff. Hey, we know you're a busy guy. We really appreciate you coming on, taking some time out. Go in and watch some basketball tonight and enjoy yourself. Thanks for coming on, Brian. I'll do my best. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Brian. All right, guys. Little basketball info there. So let's <laughs> let's not. You know one team. Ask Georgetown. Oh, you, you know I have to ask. George- you know I have to ask Georgetown. I have to. I booted the Penn State question, which would have been a much more <laughs> relevant question. Well, that's on you. Know you. That's on you, not on me. I already envisioned Selection Sunday, the two windows up on CBS, and one's North Carolina and one's Penn State. After Penn State knocks off Northwestern at Northwestern, beats Ohio State and splits with Maryland and Rutgers, and you know it's going to be up there. And you, it, it, I'm just, you already know it's over at that point, right? Like, you're just going to sit there. I, I literally will turn the TV off and just go shoot baskets in the driveway like I used to. Hey, you have to add a third. You got to add a third one to that. You got to put Syracuse up there, too. Always. Get out of here. Get always. Come on, they'll make a run in the in the ACC tournament. They'll be that's true. Yeah. And then NC State, and they'll get the twenty wins and be twenty and fifteen. And you know they're going to be on the bubble. Hey, you got to remember, you got to remember, guys, where I'm at the studios, man. We're right outside DC here, man. There's people Absolutely. all over the place with Georgetown jackets on down here. They're excited. They need a winner. I haven't seen a Georgetown jacket for years down here, but I had to ask the question. So, hey, what can you do? You know, one team I wanted to ask him, and I just. 
I missed was Ho- uh, Hofstra, man. They're on fire. I think they've won 10 in a row, too. That's another team that would be a really interesting team to get into the tournament there. If, and um, If we had Brian Longer, I think the thing that I would have liked to ask is, is this the year, and we, we praise and harp on this all the time, is this the year that the mid-majors who might lose their conference tourney actually get in over Kentucky, over Carolina, et cetera? He gave us a little Easter egg there at North Texas because that's not that's a team that I've heard is has to win to get in, right? And uh, but Florida Atlantic out of the Conference USA is in, I think. Um, yeah. There's one of those teams. Uh, there's a couple like Charleston is on the bubble. We know that they're getting hurt actually by North Carolina not helping them out by like strengthening that schedule a little bit. But uh, so that's that's Hofstra's league right there. So one of those two this is what we're talking about, like. This is the first year I've seen, like, every league has two legitimate, like, scary teams at the top. You talked about the MAC, Kent State, and Toledo. I would not want to play those teams in the first round. One's really good at defense. One's really good at offense. Like, it's going to be – pairings are going to be interesting because it does seem like there's a lot of lopsided teams out there this year where you're either good at offense or good at defense but not both. And there's only a handful of teams that are good at both. I think there's that, you know, Ken Palm metric. Everybody talks about the top 40 offense, top 22 defense. And there's only like six teams right now that usually have that criteria. Usually there's about double that at this point, and they kind of fall off. So kind of interesting. Like, you're going to see some crazy matchups here. And I do think the small guys have chances. They just got to get in. Yeah, I, I think another one to look at is the the Mountain West. Does San Diego State and Boise State both get in? I think they should. I think they're both in. I think Utah State and Nevada is where the question is to start. San Diego State, I think, and I think that's a pretty good team. They can actually score this year, too, which is a, a new thing for them. Yeah, I think so. Utah State really needs to make a run in their tournament. They've had some key yeah. losses here late in the season. They, I think they were looking yeah. okay, and now the last couple of weeks they've struggled a little bit here. I think they did win last night, if I'm correct, on that Um on that so All right, guys. Hey, right. let's let's change up pace here. Let's go to the XFL. Let's get, oh, let's get over, let's, let's, what's your thoughts? What's your opinions? I'll tell you a funny story. So myself and my wife, we were out and we stopped and uh, grabbed a quick bite. The game was on. It was uh, the Arlington Vegas game, the first game. And I'll tell you, the people sitting around us were intrigued a little bit. Now I was talking a lot to my wife about it and a couple people overheard me and they were asking me a lot of questions. They were like, how do you know all this about it? I said, well, it's just part of my job. I have to know because we got to win the cash on some of these games. What's your overall opinion on it, guys? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Maddie, what would you think overall if you caught any of the games? Uh, I didn't. I'm more intrigued that there was a record being set that you guys probably don't know. But Paxton Lynch is officially the first player ever to be benched in the NFL, the XFL, the USFL, and the CFL. Congratulations, Paxton Lynch. I think it's you T-shirts on the way. Yeah, you you get your own trophy. Actually, Smitty, I didn't watch the games, but I did dig in, and I did see some good things. And we kind of talk off air about our power rankings and stuff. And I'm going to go to right to the top. I just want to shoot out the best team I think that's out there. And I'm I don't think they made our initial top spot but i think the houston roughnecks might be the top team and also because i i really like wade phillips as the coach probably the best tenured out there but man they have that max borgie the old uh byu running back he's gonna get some touches and he's a battering ram so they might be able to win a bunch of ugly games like we saw that first week yeah you know one thing i want to jump in here you know the over-unders were about 35 36 heading into the first week here Three out of the four games did get into the 40s. I really liked it. I know myself and Jason, we talked a lot about these. I watched every game. I'm not saying every play, but I watched a good amount of it. I thought it was a lot of action. The games really came down to the end. Uh, the only one that wasn't really good was the Roughnecks, like you just said there, Matt, maybe the best team. They did play an Orlando team that myself and Jason said they're not very good. Orlando, their offensive line is not good. Jason kind of brought this up last week on the show about these offensive lines maybe not clicking early. I think you saw that a little bit. Some of these teams couldn't really run the ball. Now, D.C., extreme. I thought they ran the ball extremely well. The thing mm-hmm. with D.C., I'm going to say, that was a great game. I mean, if you watch, that's uh, the soccer stadium down here in, uh, in down in D.C. Good. I think it's about 20-some thousand 
They took the beer snake away. They weren't happy throwing lemons on the field. And you talk about shaking. I said, man, get Ben. Well, that was Ben uh, Danucci, right? The quarterback that yeah, after that situation, man, he could not do anything. And I was flipping out because I had a money line on Seattle and then it did get great drive. They got down to the one yard line with like 20 seconds. I have no clue what play call they tried to do. Danucci fumbled the ball and there went the game. Great atmosphere there in DC. The thing, and Jason, I want you to jump in then. The thing that scares me a little bit about DC, I think they can run the ball well. You got two quarterbacks. Um, I kind of like King over the other guy. Um, I, I worry about them passing the ball on this, but I think the mm. Roughnecks, I agree with Matt. I think the Roughnecks, uh, in my opinion, are the best team. Jason, what do you have? Yeah, I think we talked a little bit, though, with Houston that the one thing you have to wait is that they played Orlando, who does look like they're the worst team. Like, that's the one thing that kind of stood out. They, um, you know, they came out pretty well in the first quarter, but after that, you just thought the lines weren't really that good. The defense isn't that good. So, got to kind of wait that with uh, Houston. But Houston looked really good, really sharp on offense. Um, and the one thing that stands out, Matt, when you watch this game is that you recognize the coaches from all of these teams. I mean, I think Anthony Beck's probably the most no-name guy out of the whole list. And maybe Reggie Barlow for D.C. Because, I mean, he's a first-round pick, though, I think, with the Jags a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, you know, Wade Phillips is a really good defensive coordinator. I know he's an older guy, but, like, this guy, he's coached him NFL playoff games. And he's coaching, you know, in the XFL. Um, overall, the product's really good. Uh, a lot of insight. You're hearing play calls. You're hearing coaches' conversations. Um, it's just like the, the clock moves, the play moves. Like everything kind of keeps your attention going. Um, the rules are pretty interesting. I like the automatic touchback for punts inside the 35. They want to see punt returns. The kickoff rules should have been adopted at like every level by this time to reduce injuries. Uh, it clearly works, and like that they just continue to do it. You saw that the uh, three point conversion rule come into play. In the uh, what's called um, San Antonio game, which I thought was pretty. St. Louis didn't do anything all game. Down nine points, get a touchdown, get a three pointer. All of a sudden, they got a tie game going into that, which was crazy. They, they, I think they doubled their yardage in the last two minutes of the game. And they yeah, I think the they scored game. fifteen in like a minute thirty. <laughs> but I pushed so in that one. I mean, that should have been a winner. I pushed. That that should have been a winner. Uh, but I, that's the one thing I think you have to see because you had some teams who really benefited from defensive touchdowns, and those things usually don't happen. I think Arlington's a team like that. Arlington looked really good on the lines. Their skill talent didn't look all that great. Um, but overall, I think um, Vegas looks – you know, we kind of talked about they have studs, right? And you kind of saw those guys there. Now, whether the supporting cast is good enough, we'll see. But, you know, that was a game. They kind of probably should have had that one uh, kind of slipped away. So – It'll be interesting this week because you get that week two now, right? And these guys maybe have been preparing for a little longer for this first week. Now you got the, the short turnaround with a Thursday night game, which I think is genius because Thursday night is a football night and it's a fo- football betting night. So they're, they're right there with that. The, the teams are already ready to go. So there's not like leaving your mind. You're going to see another pro football game within a couple of days. I think that's a really smart idea. Um, so I just think it's real executed. It's, to me, it's more appealing than the USFL. Uh, I don't know if the play is much better, but I think the package is way better and the rules are much better. So I'm enjoying it. I, I watched, I think, all four games to some extent. Um, I liked having a Sunday night game. You know, that's like a perfect, just basically like falling up from the fall where you get the kids ready for bed and you kind of ready to go into your work week and you're kind of just goofing off watching a football game, maybe a little gambling action on it. Um, so I, I like it. But I like DC too, like you said. You know, you, running quarterback should have an advantage in this league. And Derrick King's by far the best running quarterback. So he's going to open up that whole offense. If he can throw it all, and I know both of their best receivers are out still, um, D.C. could be pretty interesting because the defense, Greg Williams made a great adjustment during that game. Ben DiNucci clearly does not identify zone defenses. And once they went to zone, think that whole offense is shut down. Well, you know what surprised me, and I want to say this. So I did have Moneyline on, uh, on Seattle, and they were clicking early in that game, and they got up. Mm-hmm. And then they took him out, and I think they brought in, is it uh, Montz? The, wasn't he a quarterback at Colorado? I think he's the backup. Steven Montez, yeah. Okay, Steven Montez. Okay, thank you. Um, and I was, you know, and you heard that a lot And if you watch these games. They said, you know, they didn't have a lot of, um, you know, there was no preseason games. These guys were just there. Some guys were only there for two, three weeks, and then they were trying to play. I was, you know, I understand that. But it kind of took him out of rhythm, in my opinion. And then when... They're throwing lemons, and then he threw that pick six. <laughs> and I'm going nuts on text messages to the guys. I'm like, okay, Danucci, a little shook. 
Little deer in headlights. Get him out. Where's the other guy? Never brought him back in. Oh, he yeah, was clicking. Was he was clicking early. Well, why'd you waste your time then? Keep it going. Yeah, I really thought they'd go to Mont. I thought they'd go back to Montez in the fourth quarter. I mean, Danucci got him in the scoring position there at the end. The option call on the, fourth, on the short yardage there with no timeout. Really interesting. You also saw a pretty big gaffe where um, Hazlitt used a timeout before the two-minute warning. And by doing that, he eliminated his challenge, which I think you'll see other coaches of Justin realize that you got that's you know I think it was like 16 seconds to the two minute warning, but it would, it would have made way more sense to keep that timeout and keep that challenge available in case something came up. So hey, there's one one thing of drama already out there too. Uh, the Vegas Vipers quarterback controversy already. Are they going to stick with Perez or do they go to Brett Hundley? Did, I don't think Hundley played at all on or Saturday. So. No, but they're. There was a, a little snippet that I read about if they start out 0-2, they're probably going to go make a switch. And well, Perez, Perez, and, was, and Perez was okay early. Was quick. Yeah, made yeah. a couple mistakes in that game. Hey, I'll tell you a funny story. So, you know, I had I pushed in the San Antonio game. They were dogs in that game, and I had them. But they were winning, like Jason said. St. Louis couldn't do anything. So I'm taking the dogs for a walk in the afternoon, and I have VEASAN on, and I'm listening to VEASAN, and they're going nuts. They're like, oh, they just scored. now." So you can go for an onside kick. Or you can take the ball and it's fourth and 15. And they took the fourth and 15. And, you know, I'm listening. I'm like, oh, they're not going to get a four and fourth and 15. Well, of course they got the fourth and 15. I think he threw it to Ricky Pearl's kid and he caught the ball. So I'm like r- trying to run. I had to sit on the curb for five minutes and catch my breath with the dogs. But then I ran really fast to get home and get back upstairs and watch the end of that. And of course, Ricky Pearl's kid caught the touchdown and I pushed in that. I mean, I had such, I, very easily could have been five and zero. I think I went two, two and one because then Seattle really cost me. So hey, Thursday night we got a game like we said. St. Louis is traveling to Seattle. Seattle is minus three on my book right here. Over under again is at thirty six. Like I said, three out of the four games did get into the forty mark last week. Uh, money line I had was minus uh, one fifty. I'm looking. I'll lay the juice a little bit, boys. I'm going to go back to that Seattle team. Don't let me down. Jason, anything on this game tomorrow night? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one thing you have to see is the, the St. Louis see what we all saw on Saturday or Sunday night that uh, the zone not, defense clearly gave an issue to the Sea Dragons there. Danucci really struggled once it wasn't man to man coverage. Uh, I think St. Louis played a good amount of zone in their game, too. So that will be interesting. Uh, their offense was terrible, though, for most of that game. The Seahawks, deep, or Sea Dragons, Seahawks. C-Dragons defense looked pretty good for most of that game against DC. I know they lost, but uh, they were were one of the top three teams, I think, uh, with DC included with Houston. So I will lay the three here. And the money line seems to be moving. I I had it 135 to one book, but I see a bet in GM is already 165. So I think people are on the C-Dragons. And the only uh, go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. um, The only thing I the only thing I looked at is the over, which you brought up. I think because Seattle really does fling it around. I think I'm not going to try to pronounce his first name. I'm going to get it wrong. Jahar Pearson, he had like 14 or 16 targets. Mm-hmm. If they're going to throw it around that much, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, with, with unders, over unders that low, I'll, I'll uh, be a fanboy and go for the overs and the rooting interest. I think the one thing that I, I didn't pick up because I didn't look at all the rules and everything going into this is the clock runs, even incomplete passes in the game. The clock mm-hmm. is running. Now, I think if it gets down to like two minutes, um, in certain, like maybe the second quarter or fourth quarter, then it kind of goes mm-hmm. back to incomplete pass. They stop the clock. So I think that's a lot of people going, well, they're, the clock's running nonstop. And this, you know, like you said, the deep, I, I think points, points, points a little bit here. I kind of agree. I kind of like that. And the only other one I had, uh, there's a game Saturday, then there's two Sunday. And the Saturday game is the DC team, and they are traveling out to Vegas. Vegas is right now on my book is minus three and the over under again, Maddie is 36 and a half on that one. So that's the only lines I have. Then Sunday you have San Antonio traveling to Orlando and then the Sunday night game, probably the best game. Again, you got Arlington and the Houston Roughnecks um, playing each other on those, but I yeah. did, I did not see a line on that. I know Circa had some earlier. I, week I, got, I got them right here. Okay. I got them right here. Go for that. Jason. So Vegas is, uh, we got FedMGM. Vegas is actually it's all over the place a little bit. It's minus three and a half at home against DC, which is a little bit surprising. I thought that line would probably be under three. Um, you've got San Antonio laying three at Orlando. We mentioned Orlando probably looked the worst of all the eight teams. 
is pretty clear. I think everyone's in agreement on that. And then Arlington goes to Houston, and that's minus four and a half right now at MGM. So people are loving the Roughnecks. I would actually take Arlington plus four and a half there. Like I said, I think you need to wait Houston until you see them play somebody else because I do think they played the worst team in the first weekend. And, and they were prepared. I mean, they took advantage of what was there. But, you know, if we, like I said, I think there's one clearly bad team so far out of the eight, and it's definitely the uh, – And the only other thing with the XFL is if you watched our show last week, Maddie said Josh Gordon will be out of the lake in three weeks. He played, (laughs) didn't play bad. So we're going to week two. Everybody keep an eye on the Josh Gordon prediction by Matt. Did you mention Seattle, right? Gordon's on that team, and the other receiver is the guy got all the catches. Now, maybe Gordon opened it up, but that's not what it looked like. He looked like a guy who was. Hadn't played really in 10 years, and that's pretty much what you got right there. <laughs> All right, man, we got a couple minutes. Let's head into golf like we always do to wrap up the show. So, Maddie, let me jump in because, you know, this was a little joke last week. If you listened, was my dad kind of said he could do better than me. And I said, well, good luck. Try it. Well, let's recap his week. John Rom <laughs> to win the tournament. Check. John Rom top five. Well, there's another winner. Uh, Patrick Cantley, top 10, winner. Tom Hoagie, top 20, winner. Well, I had, and I'm going to be like Matt, Keith Mitchell, I had Morikawa, top five. Hole 18, Keith Mitchell sank a birdie, knocked my guy out of the top five. So, Keith Mitchell, you're on my list. You only thought Matty had the list. I have a list now, and you're on it. So, my dad, I have his plays. I'm going to give him out here in a second. But, Maddie, what would you think of the tournament overall? Uh, it was good. I mean, the, the pros, the big guys showed out, which they wanted. Everybody was – it was a stacked leaderboard. But, uh, like you like you said, man, I am officially – Tony Fino, you can go right to you nowhere. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're done. You're officially off. I don't care if you have the best metrics that I have come up with in our models or anything. I'm, I'm not betting you anymore. In fact, I might start bet you to miss, miss the cut. <laughs> Nicest guy on tour. That's Matt Kuchar, <laughs> who's also on the list. So maybe the nice guys do finish last. There you go. Yeah, Smitty, it was good. Uh, the problem is this week, this tournament, the, the really good tournament last week, this one this week is just bad. This is probably the worst field, and yet it's the hardest course I think they said they're going to play this year. <laughs> 16 out of the 18 holes have water. The The biggest stat to look at is if you're actually handicapping this is double bogey avoidance because, man, they, it creeps up on you here. That and long iron playing, there's only two par fives, so scoring is at a minimum on this. So the other thing is, too, out of, I think, the last 16 tournaments here, somebody with 60 to 1 odds or better has won 11 times. It's oh, wow. not a favorite course. That you can find really good value at guys thirty to one, all the way down to a hundred to one. I think somebody last in the past couple of years wanted it eighty to one. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a couple long shots this week. Yeah, I think what Sepp Straka won it last year. He had to go off at a pretty good number, I yeah. think, because uh, yeah. he's not clearly not a, a top tier guy. Yeah, he was yeah. minus ten last year, Jason. Winner Shane Lowry was uh, second place, minus nine. I heard a thing on long shots, a podcast out of Eason. And like Matt said, this is a very hard course. Um, a lot of water. You got the bear trap holes 15 through 17. I think it's the fourth hardest um, on tour. And I mean, water's everywhere on here. But they said, uh, the one guy on that podcast said, Lowry was like, why don't he live a little bit away? I was just going to practice. So I'll just go and play. Why not just play? <laughs> so we'll see what he does on that. But he was second last um, last year in this. Okay, Maddie, what do you got for me, man? Uh, I only have two locked in so far, Smitty. I have two round-robin guys to finish top six. I have Denny McCarthy, who actually had a good showing at the Genesis last week. The problem is his metrics don't really match up well for this course. But he's coming in, he's under the radar, and I believe I got him at 40-1. to And then I also have Chris Kirk, who's a little more of a favorite. He's about 20-1. to He comes in in pretty good form. I'm probably going to add a couple more later, but that's it. I'm going to stay away from the favorites. I'm not going to have Lowry. I'm not going to have some Sung JM. Uh, I'll stay away from those guys. I'll go value and see who else I can dig in and find here. So I did a little homework here, jumping oh. in on the fun. 
And uh, great Twitter site, uh, PGA Splits 101. Did some study here. So he did a little analysis on a weak field with a tough scoring environment, which pretty much you've described exactly this week. And your guys, both are about half a shot gained on the field, so pretty good actually in the green. Shane Lowry, one shot gained on the field, is actually one of the better guys this week. So this is he's actually a horse for this course. And the guy who probably lines up the best is the champion from last year, Sepp Straka, um, who gains a bunch also versus his field. Now, he's going off at 50-1 to 1 right now at that MGM to go back-to-back. Back. Now, that's, that's a little bit, but that's a pretty nice price there for them. Smitty, who do you got in this week? Well, let me, and, give, uh, let me give my dads. Let me, let me, let me the, the hottest yeah, handicapper in golf right now, my father, so let's throw it out there to everybody. Okay, so what did he do? Now, let me tell you real quick. I know we're going to go fast here, but so I said, I said, hey, pick him. You know, I thought it would take it like 15 minutes later. Boom, boom, boom on a text message. I'm like, man, you're really <laughs> maybe overconfident. Here we go. All right. So my dad this week, what does he have? Shane Lowry to win the tournament. Shane Lowry, top five. He's going Alex Noren. Noren played well last year on this on this course. He has him top 10, and then he went Matt Kuchar, one of Matt's favorite guys, top 20. So that is my dad's play. And let me tell you, if he just cleans up again, uh, I'm <laughs> never going to hear the end of it. If he cleans up again, and we're getting him on the show. Yeah. All right. Like you said, Matty said the best text, everyone. He goes, Smith, I said, hey, I'm doing my homework tonight. He goes, don't do your homework. Just take your dad's place. <laughs> 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 All right. Here's mine really quick. I got to win Aaron Wise to win the tournament. I have Aaron Wise top five. I have, I'm with Matt. I have Chris Kirk, my best bet of the tournament top 10. And I'm going Lee Hodges top 20. Ooh, that's a risk there. I like it. That is my place. So hopefully, uh, yeah, I've been skunked the last two weeks. I mean, that was tough watching more cow. I kind of gave up on it, guys, Sunday. And then I looked and he was like, I'm like, oh, my goodness, he's in the top five. I'm going to I'm going to get a bet. And Keith Mitchell week before I had Keith Mitchell best bet, I think, top 20. And he couldn't get in the top 20. But good job there, Keith Mitchell. Way to sink that long putt on me on 18. Knock my guy out. So. Going from cashmere to war. Oh, my goodness. All right, boys. That's <laughs> all I have. Does anybody have any fun? Can I just say my best bet? USC Upstate just won by two. That's four in a row for the site. Nice work. I love it. Keep it going. Good job, boys. Over the Presbyterian. I think they've lost like 17 in a row. You had to go against them tonight, so I'm a little Digging deep there. into the Big South. Like I said, hey, it's small conference time, so no better than the big bet to go you, with small conferences. It's their time to shine. You got to dive deep sometimes, man. You got to really dive deep and get that, <laughs> and that's what I did today. Big win there, so great job by those guys. But anything, guys, before we take off here? No, sir. Just uh... – Check us out, listen in, subscribe, shoot us messages, man. We'd love to answer some questions. We're probably going to take some phone calls down down the road, too, after we get some kinks worked out as well. So we hope to hear from everybody. All right, guys. Well, that's all I have, man. Everybody, thanks for tuning in, and best of luck this week. Cash those tickets, and until next week, we'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Notebook Wagering Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and be sure to follow at Notebook Wagering. Until next time.